All right, everybody, you may be seated. Come on in. Come on in and have a seat. All right. Come on in. So this morning, we are going to depart from our normal verse-by-verse through the Bible teaching in the book of Luke to do our annual prophecy update. And so if you're new to the fellowship every year around this time, we like to uh, look at the things going on in the world and see how they may sort of equate to what the Bible says about the last days that we are living in. We try to take a balanced perspective in doing that. And it's interesting when people say, including myself, uh, that we're trying to be balanced. Usually the frame of reference is ourself. And so we think we're the balanced one. And then, But uh, we're going to try to take a scriptural uh, view of, of end times prophecy. And as we do that, it's important to know that the Bible tells us to do that. So this isn't uh, something that's just sort of a fanatical, certain type of church thing that, that we do. The Bible actually tells us to do that, to know the seasons, to know the times, to understand the days that we're living in. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of Titus chapter 2. We're going to use that as a a launching pad to look into some of the Bible prophecies of this day. As uh, as you're turning there, a couple announcements. Um, Young adults is tonight at 5 to 7.30, and uh, the address is in your bulletin for that. And women's ministry is going to start Monday the 29th. And that's at 7 p.m. here in the fellowship. And Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, we are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. So if you can make it for that, that will be great. So Titus 2, 13 and 14. It says this. Actually, let's start in verse 11. Get a little run up. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's referring to the coming of Jesus the first time. He brought salvation. You'll notice there he brought the grace of God, meaning that salvation is by grace and not by works. Verse 12 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So now the way we are to live is to live in relationship to the fact that God in the past had foretold of the Messiah that would come to be a Savior, and the fact that He did, fulfilling all those promises, demonstrating and giving evidence of who He is and proof that the Bible is true and that He is the Messiah, and because of that, we should live in a certain way. So in other words, it's the thought that whether you, you believe in the Bible or not, just try to think of it like this. If it is true, then what would you do? If God is real, then what would you do? If heaven is real, then what would you do? If hell is real, then what would you do? It's that, that understanding that God has proven that he is real through his prophecies, that's one of the, the biggest ways that God proves who he is. He tells us what he's going to do before he does it, and then he does it and says, now believe. 
So because of that, because the Bible has proven that there is a God, that there is a judgment, there is accountability for our actions, that what we see going on in this world is part of God's sovereign plan heading to a certain place and a certain destination. This is not random. This is not just circumstantial various things happening. This is a plan that had been laid out and that God has told us this plan and then laid it out and then said, look, believe now. So we should live in a certain way in regards to the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah coming. And he did that. And we look back on that. And we say, okay, well, we, we, we should live in that knowledge and that understanding. But look at verse 13. He says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's how we do it. That's how we live our life. We look for the blessed hope. That means that we're looking for the return of Jesus to make things right according to the way they're supposed to be. We look for that. We look for that knowing that that's going to happen. The Bible is telling us, and Paul here is sort of putting this in context that, look, God has already fulfilled his promises in the past specifically and perfectly and he's going to do that in the future. So live your life in accordance to the fact that he's going to come back again. Now is not the time where everything's going to be perfect, but there will be a time and we look for that time. In the meantime, we live our life in obedience to God. We live it in a certain way, but we're always looking. That means that we're focusing on Jesus coming back. We're looking for the blessed hope or looking for a time where he makes everything right knowing that this is not the time he came the first time to save souls he's coming to uh, the second time to restore order on the earth that's what we call the second coming and so that's what we do we look when things go south and when things are falling apart seemingly what do we do we look for our blessed hope we know it's not here we look for that. We look for that time, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the point of, of prophecy. We, we look for the blessed hope. And so the Bible gives us ways to look for that. How do we look for that? How do we understand that? The disciples asked Jesus the same question in Matthew 24, which is called the Olivet Discourse because it was on the Mount of Olives. And in Matthew 24, 3, it says, As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be. So Jesus had already come, but they wanted the world to be put in order with the Messiah ruling and reigning over the whole world. That's going to come. But they didn't understand Jesus first was coming to be a suffering servant. But they're asking, well, when is that going to be? We want that. We want things to be made right. They, they were seeing the uh, oppression of the day, the evils of the day. The, they, they were getting a, a, a glimpse of the fallen nature of the world. And, and they're saying, when are you going to make everything okay again? When are you going to establish order? And as they asked this question, they asked also, when will the sign of your coming be and the end of the age? So there's a specific phrase or terminology, the end of the age, because they knew scripturally that there would be a time that the world as we know it would end. And biblically, we know what that means is, is Satan's rule and reign and control over the world. That's how it is now. That's the world that we live in. It's a fallen world. And Satan has dominion over the world. He doesn't have full control, but it, God has full control, but Satan has dominion. 
he is working and operating the evils of this world or because it's fallen and because he, it is, the world is under the sway of the enemy. But they wanted a, a sign. They wanted a, some sort of way to understand, it. Are you, is, is this a time where, where you make everything right, where you abolish evil and set up your kingdom on earth? And as they do that, he begins to talk about different signs for them to look for. And these signs are things that the world will be signaling to us that we should look at that will be indicative of the fact that Jesus is coming back. The interesting thing is Jesus points out several signs like wars, rumors of war, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, things like that. And he says, when you see these things, the end is not yet. What he was saying is in Matthew 24 is that when he leaves, when Jesus ascends to heaven after he dies on the cross and raises again, there's going to be a period, that's the period we live in now, that's going to be filled and noted by chaos. The character of the world in between his first and second coming, is going to, the character is going to be upheaval. It's going to be uh, hatred. It's going to be fighting a natural world. It's going to be all upset and disturbed. You know, and there's just going to be chaos all over the place. But he, he says... When you see these things in Matthew 24, 8, he says, these are the beginning of sorrows. So that, that tells us that, that we're in a season before he comes back again. We're talking about the second coming. So we live in a time where we see things happening, some of those things mentioned there. And, and we can say, okay, well, Jesus said we're going to be in a, a time of turmoil before he comes back. But then he says... In Matthew 8, these are the beginning of sorrows. That word sorrows is birth pangs or labor pains, which tells us that there's going to be a progression of those signs that he mentioned in our day and age and the, the time between, between his comings and that is going to intensify like a woman in labor in intensity and in frequency. And, and as, as we see the events listed in Matthew 24 as signs, when we see them intensify and becoming more frequent, then that means it's giving birth to something. The world is giving birth to something. And so what is that thing that's going to be birth? It's going to be these, this event called the tribulation. The tribulation, the Bible tells us, is a time where the greatest hardship and difficulty that the world has ever seen will be in the world. In Matthew 24, 21, it says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world. So think about the beginning of the world till now and all the things that the world's been through. And the tribulation is going to far surpass anything that has ever happened in the world in trial and difficulty and hardship. And it says there'll never ever be anything like that after that either. But that, the, the tribulation then, at the end of the tribulation, the Bible tells us it will be seven years. At the end of the tribulation, that is when Jesus comes back and restores order on the earth. And that's what is called the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. However, there's one event that really excites me. That is noted in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We call it the rapture of the church. But the Bible tells us that before this seven-year tribulation period happens on the earth, that 
God is going to come in the clouds and call up all true believers in Jesus Christ. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to be with him forever, especially that seven-year tribulation period on earth, the church will be caught up and be with Jesus in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 describes this event like this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord. So this is going up. He's not coming down. We're going up. Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So the the teaching of Bible prophecy and understanding the times that we live in and looking for our blessed hope is meant to comfort us is meant to give us uh, an understanding of how when we live our life in this world and we struggle seeing what the world is doing and, and the chaos and craziness, the Bible tells us to rejoice because God's bringing everything together. And the more of that we see in intensity and the more frequent we see that those things, the more we can know that Jesus is going to rapture the church. We also know that this tribulation period is going to come soon to the earth. And so this morning, we're going to really just look at one out of hundreds of signs that we could look at. And this one sign that we're going to look at has many sub signs that we can look at. And so uh, I know uh, some of you are prophecy buffs and you have your favorite prophecy guy or guys or conference or conferences you go to. And so we don't have enough time to cover everything. So we're going to do our best this morning to look at something that I believe really puts in perspective the many different events that seem so strange in this world that are happening. Do you ever just ask yourself, why are they doing this? And why is this happening? And why, why, why is uh, people seem to be okay with this? Well, I, I think one of the biggest ways we can sort of just get down to the nitty gritty is to understand that in the tribulation, there will be a one world government. This one world government will be ruled by the Antichrist. And so now we should be able to see events going on in our world that would be the preparation for a one-world government. This New Year's Eve, I uh, unfortunately tuned in to Times Square's ball-dropping event (laughs) and saw Paul Anka singing a famous song by John Lennon called Imagine. Mm. So here, for the most part, millions of Americans are watching this, and a lot of the discussion is 2024, it's, it's going to be better. We can put things behind us, and there's new hope. Every new year, there's new hope, and here's Paul Anka singing Imagine, and at the end of his song, they're going to drop the ball. Yeah, they really did drop the ball. So here's the the lyrics to this song. Imagine there's no heaven. So imagine all these people watching and saying, yeah, that's great. Imagine that. He says, it's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. 
Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Hope someday you'll join us. And the world will be as one. One world government. Imagine no possessions. The government will have all your possessions. Imagine, if you can, no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. And then, as the ball's really dropping, the scene pans out to a homosexual kiss for all the world to see. This is not random. These were not random homosexual people just happened to be caught on ca- It's all planned out to get you and I to think a certain way, to understand the world. Notice the lack of biblical worldview. The, the lack of biblical worldview is that in that song, the understanding of human nature is that we're generally all good. And if given the right opportunity, we can all live together in harmony. And the Bible says that our nature is fallen. Right after the fall of man in Genesis 3, there is a brother murder. And it's been the same way the whole time. It's a lack of understanding of who is in control of the world. Of the world. But that, that song, it, it's just ironic, but it could be an anthem for the new world order or the one world government or the great reset. So is there a way that we can maybe look at and, and understand, has this gone on before? Has there been attempts to have world dominance and world control? One, one good way uh, one to think of this, at least in my mind, one example is communism. Communism reached its height, heights in the 1900s. And this was uh, a way to view the world to where there would be a seeming utopia. To where the words of John Lennon would be actualized. And all the world would be in harmony. But this preview of coming attractions, communism, which was described in the Communist Manifesto by Frederick Engels and Karl Marx, ended up in catastrophe. Karl Marx himself in the Communist Manifesto said the theory of communists may be summed up in the single sentence abolition of all private property. That's not biblical. God was very into personal private property. And when Karl Marx says this, what he's saying is he's wanting to take the power out of the individual and put it in the hands of a governing authority, communism. Also noted in the Communist Manifesto is this quote, society as a whole is more and more splitting up into two great hostile camps. It's one of the ways that communism inserts itself to try to bring harmony is first by dividing people. Dividing people into two categories, oppressors and the oppressed. Communism identified that in society and said communism is the answer 
to this problem, again, not realizing that the problem is in the heart of man and will always be in the heart of man. The problem is not a government system. And so this understanding of communism explained by one Russian writer and dissident, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Solzhenitsyn, I should say, he said, at the heart of atheism is, mil- uh, I'm sorry, at the, at the heart of communism is militant atheism. And he said, hatred of God is the principal driving force of communism. So communism is a way to remove God and bring man in control, especially through a government. So that's why there are so many heinous crimes against believers and Christians and anybody who would have a belief in God during those times. And yet, we see how significant Bible-believing people are. What a threat a Bible-believing person is to a totalitarian government, which really is leading to a one-world government. That's why the Bible says in order for the one-world government to really take root, the restrainer has to be removed. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit working in, in the church. So it's only when the church is removed that Satan would have the opportunity without interference to carry out his one world government plan. And that's where the rapture comes in. The restrainer or the Holy Spirit working through the church is going to be removed and then there will be no uh, barriers or blocks to the plans of Satan, which, by the way, Revelation chapter 6 through 19 explain that seven-year tribulation period and what that is all about and so communism is a a sneak preview of coming attractions in regards to one world government and that explains why in our country we're seeing things these uh, so-called ways of bringing people together like social justice a a term for really dividing people, but it sounds nice on the surface. We see critical theory taught in schools, that critical theory is also a divisive mechanism. Critical theory is also uh, parlayed into other theories like critical race theory and queer theory. That's why we see... uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion being a, such a big thing. It's, it has everything to do with bringing a, a government into our society where God is kicked out and people are worshiping of the government. And so one uh, American writer, Barton Hinkle, commenting on communism, he said, While the Soviet Union is no more and communism has been discredited in most eyes for many years, it's hard even now to grasp the sheer scale of agony imposed by the brutal ideology of collectivism. In the Black Book of Communism, he says, a postmortem of communist atrocities compiled by European and American academics in 1997 concluded that the human cost of genocides, extrajudicial executions, deportations, and artificial famines stood at over 94 million people. So in about 100 years, there were about 100 million people killed in the name of imagining a better world. Heavy-duty stuff. An American writer in the 1800s, Horace Greeley, said, it is impossible to enslave mentally or societally a Bible-reading people. 
The principles of the Bible are the groundwork for human freedom. That's why people like you are not welcome in a society that is godless and wants to set up uh, an environment where one has to worship the government. That's why we see resistance and pushback. So where does the, the Bible talk about this one world government? There are many places, uh, Daniel 7, uh, Daniel 2, Daniel 9. I'll read Revelation 13, 7, and 8. By the way, um, if you would like my notes, just email the church and I'll send you the notes. I know it's hard to track all these references. So Revelation 13, 7 and 8 says, It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's speaking about the Antichrist. So full worldwide authority. And then in verse 3 of Revelation 13, it says, And all the world marveled and followed the beast. This is after a, possibly an a attempted assassination where he is mortally wounded, and then all the world sees him coming back to life. That's all in Revelation chapter 13. And so the, the, the understanding of a one world government, how everything is moving towards that, a past history, not to distant future, the wall of Germany and communism came down in 1986. But as we see these things sort of taking root in our society and ramping up once again, and we know that the, the world is headed towards that. What is, is more well known or obvious is something called globalists or people attempting to make the world one called globalists. globalists. This past week, there was uh, one of the main proponents of globalism, the World Economic Forum, WEF, had their meeting that's a good place to sort of see what people are saying, these uh, elites of the world, and try to get a, a, an understanding of their thinking and their desire to bring the world together as one. There's an Australian senator, Malcolm Roberts. He says, the plan of the Great Reset is that you'll die with nothing. Now, biblically, we, we know that when we die, we don't take anything with us. But what the, the economic forum, World Economic Forum, is saying that we'll take everything from you so that you own nothing. He goes on to explain Klaus, Klaus Schwab, that's the, the head of the World Economic Forum, uh, his plan for this great re reset is life by subscription. He says it's really surfdom, S-E-R-F-D-O-M. And that, that word means that we would all take care of someone else's land. Forced labor. The government will own everything and will work for them and they'll own, will own nothing. Life by subscription. He said it's slavery. He said billionaire Globalist corporations will own everything, homes, factories, farms, cars, furniture, and everyday citizens will rent what they need if their social credit score allows. So that makes sense when you start to understand weird things happening. Well, this is why a lot of these things are happening. And we, I don't know for sure, but... Um, who exactly is involved, but it seems like much of government and people in power and positions are part of this globalist movement, 
with the desire to bring about exactly what we see here, the Great Reset. One of Klaus Schwab's um, assistants or one of his uh, high-up people in his organization, Yuval Harari, he's actually one of Barack Obama's favorite authors, and he's a frequent speaker at Davos, which is where they meet. Uh, This article, this one article said he made some shocking statements in the interview with a British YouTuber who runs the channel, The Diary of a CEO. So this uh, gentleman, Klaus Schwab's uh, right-hand man, frequently proposes the idea that human beings are hackable, lacking true free will. So this really sort of shows the cards, if you will, of how a globalist movement, which we can go back into communism and understand too, they don't see the nature of human beings as being made in the image of God. They see human beings as expendable and disposable, and anyone who gets in the way of the machine of this government can be removed, no problem. That's what we saw in communism, and that's what's going to happen in the one world government. So it's interesting that he would straight out say that. Free will is one of the things that God gives a human being that makes him special and unique as opposed to all other creations and creatures on the earth. So he says, uh, he continues and says, he raised the bar when he was asked this political and economic question of the 21st century, which is, what do we need humans for? So what falls into this category if you have this ideology? Abortion, euthanasia. I mean, those are two big ones. So what do we need humans for? And then it says, or at least, why do we need so many humans? So there's population control. So certain people are in control of saying who lives and doesn't live. So what are they taking the place of? God. That's what they're trying to do. Only God can say who lives and who doesn't live. And this goes, by the way, this goes all the way back to the Tower of Babylon. All false religions are really humanism in a different form where man's attempt is to reach God and be God. And so as we see that in Babylon all the way back in the book of Genesis, as we fast forward to the book of Revelation, the fall of the world system is called the fall of the mystery Babylon. So it's the same thing. It's the same ideology. It's the same understanding. It's basically humanism, where humans are in control, taking the place of God. But that's what the Antichrist is going to do, or wants to do, is take the place of God. Of God, And so as we start to understand where things are headed, it makes sense why there's things like euthanasia and abortion when the, the understanding is that humans are not made in the image of God are pretty much just like machines. Now, it's interesting that in 1994, David Rockefeller speaking at the United Nations... He said, we are on the verge of global transformation. All we need is the right major crisis. And all the nations will accept the new world order. So the understanding is, if you can make things so bad for people, they will desperately want someone to fix it. That's exactly what's going to happen when the Antichrist comes on the scene. The time of the tribulation is going to be the worst time the world has ever seen. And the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to say, I'll I'll fix it all. People are going to worship him. But we're seeing previews of that. It's interesting 
just recently, just uh, last week, I believe this was, Dr. Fauci's ex-boss, Francis Collins, who is known for being very critical of the Christian community for either not wearing a mask or not getting the vaccinations or what have you. He says, he just said that Fauci's ex, ex-boss, or the article says, Fauci's ex-boss, Francis Collins, now says COVID-19 lab leak theory is actually credible. So the boss of Fauci is now saying that it's actually pretty credible to think that this was something that was manufactured. That's what he's saying. I'm reading directly from Francis Collins' statement. And so there's the crisis. There's an understanding why there's such a push for global warming and making all these adjustments to how we live. There's a a reason for that, even though those who are proposing it, just like the COVID, those who are proposing it are actually not going by those same rules. That's how you know it's fake. So if you believe that in a few years uh, the world's going to fall into the ocean, you wouldn't buy property on the ocean, which many of those pr- promoting these ideologies are doing. You wouldn't spend exorbitant amounts of money um, flying around the country and using the, the fuel and and contributing to the carbon footprint of the world if you really believe that was a real thing. But how about this? Another way to destroy societies and cause chaos like David Rockefeller had mentioned is through the tearing down. This is is what socialism does. This is what... um, Critical theory does, social justice. It it tears down the social norms. Boundaries, social structure, and really what's underneath that is attacking God's design for things. See, it's important to realize that God made things a certain way. And he made things to work according to a certain way. That's called reality. It's called truth. And when we operate our life in the way that God has designed things, then things work. They go better. That's why there's so much attack on there's no such thing as truth. And whatever you think is true and if what you think is different than I think, then they're both true. And that, that just can't be. We know that's fake. We know that's not real. Nobody actually lives that way. And yet, there's a reason that you and I are having things shoved down our throats. So we know just, it's so weird. It's just ridiculous. And it's, the point is to break down these social norms. One of the biggest destroyers of civilization that historically we can look at is this obsession in regards to gender, sexuality, homosexuality, when that becomes a focus of society. The society is ruined. This, this is the, those are the most basic things of God's design. So the two most basic things of God's design are that he created everything so that there's a creator. So in the, the beginning was God. So that puts him in authority. That puts him in control and puts him as the agent of everything that's created and also puts him in a different category, not being created. He's the creator. So that, that's why evolution is a, a, such a fuel for a one world, world government and many of the diabolical things like abortion that have been promoted throughout the world is because people are not seen as those who are created in the image of God, but those are just a random uh, particles of random events and nothing's really meaningful. Eliminating the understanding that we're made in the image of God, that we have a, a soul, that we're valuable, and just gets rid of all of that. 
And so this attack on social norms, this undermining of um, God's creation, but not only that, then the second most uh, foundational thing is God created them man and woman. You start to mess with those things and you don't have anything. Nothing makes sense. Satan's the author of confusion. And when you start to buy into that, you just, you've gone down a road of, of no return. Because nothing will ever make sense. Nothing will be, ever be made right. Well, let me ask you this. We mentioned earlier that the church is the restrainer. And that means the true church. That means the job of the church is, regardless of the consequences, is stand on the truth. Well, historically, we've seen with Israel, Israel always fell when the corruption got to the priesthood and there is no light anymore. So what happens when the light of the world, the church, the restrainer, then adopts idealistic, communistic, one-world government ideologies like gender confusion and homosexuality, then that means there's, there's no resistance anymore. There's no pushback. There's no light. There's no truth. So what happens when this past December, the Pope blessed same-sex marriages? This article says Pope Francis on Monday, this is in this past December, approve letting priests bless same-sex couples, sparking criticism from conservative Catholics and praise from the LGBTQ community. Such blessings, it says, would not rise to the level of church-sanctioned same-sex marriages, the Vatican cautioned, but would offer gay Catholics the opportunity to seek God's mercy without being subjected to an exhaustive moral analysis. But you see what they're trying to do there? They're trying, they, want, they want to bless, but you know, you can't be blessed if you're walking in sin. And a man doesn't have any authority over people to do something like that. The only authority that a person has is the authority of God's word to bless something. So we see the, the leader of Catholicism in all the world who people look at as the authority in religious matters blessing same-sex marriages, not marriages, same-sex couples, and giving them the blessings which would be the blessings of God in their mind. When you see things like that, start looking for the blessed hope. One thing that's always brought up and people are always wondering about when we talk about end time signs is technology. The rise of te technology. So how does that fit in? We have to be careful because, yeah, that, there are a lot of weird things happening, but does it talk about that in the Bible and is there meaning in the Bible in regards to some of those things? And, and there is. I'd like to uh, reference Matthew 24, 24, 24, 24. It says, false Christs and false prophets will rise and they will show great signs and wonders to deceive even possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So what that means is the way that Satan is going to work in the world, bringing the world into an acceptance of a one world government and then putting himself in the place of controlling that one world government and people worshiping, worshiping him eventually as God is through deception. Here the Bible actually tells us we have been told beforehand and the deception is going to be so bad that nobody can say that I'm going to, I'm going to be okay from the deception unless you're a true believer. 
the true believer that's sealed with the Holy Spirit and has the Word of God. Part of that deception, we can look at what's going on with some of the technology. But I want to read uh, another scripture that gives us an idea that technology will be a part of the formation of this one world government in Revelation 13, 15. It says, he, the false prophet in the tribulation, he is granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That's the, the Antichrist. Now notice, it doesn't say the beast, it says the image of the beast. So there's something about the Antichrist that is, is not going to be actually him. And this is referring to in the temple, which is also part of prophecy that there will be a temple being built, going to be built in Israel. I had a whole thing on that I had to get rid of because we don't have time. But, <laughs> but it, isn't it interesting? He says, this is John... The Apostle John, he's getting this revelation and he's describing what he's seeing the best he can. And he says there's an image of the beast in the temple. And it says the image of the beast should both speak and cause many, as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So if you don't worship the image of the beast, you'll be killed. So what's the big thing that's being talked about now in technology it's AI and bot which is short for robot technology in regards to AI and bot BOT you can't tell if you're interacting with a human or not how does that grab you the definition of a bot it's short for robot and also called an internet bot is a computer program that operates as an agent for the user or other program to simulate a human activity. So think about the image of the beast. Bots are normally used to automate certain tasks, meaning they can run without specific instructions from humans. And then there's something called the deep fake. A deep fake is you can't, also you can't tell what is real or not. The definition of a deep fake is a video of a person in which their face or body has been digitally altered so that they appear to be someone else, typically used maliciously or to spread false information. Isn't that something? So could it be that the image of the beast could be the use of AI technology and the deep fake? Well, again, back to Charles Schwab, the, the leader of the World Economic Forum, he actually said elections will soon be a quaint relic of the past. And he points to AI as the coming king of democracy. It's all right out there, guys. He says that nations will soon no longer need to bother holding elections. Wouldn't that be convenient? Because the voters could easily be replaced by artificial intelligence. And he says AI is more than capable of choosing a nation's leaders. And then back to the right-hand man of Carl Schwab, Yuval Harari, he said just a few years ago that in an age of AI, artificial intelligence, humans will no longer have free will. That may be what Schwab is referring to here in regards to elections. If AI knows what everyone is thinking and is able to influence people's choices, talk about being deceived. Even the elect would be deceived. 
at some point literally making all choices for them, then why would we need to even bother with elections? The world would at that point no longer be populated by humans, but by remote controlled transhumans. That's the ultimate goal of technocrats like Schwab to depopulate the humans and replace them with AI augmented transhumans. So you start to think about that and you're starting to think, oh, wow, that is, that is so weird. Is that in the Bible? And there, there's some, some strange things in the Bible about the crossing of lines between angels and man. Where the book of Jude says where angels leave their proper abode. And they go into and interact with humans in a way that they shouldn't do. Reminds us of the reason for the flood. All the way back in Genesis chapter 6. But as we talk about this idea, of course, it's going to go in the area of sexuality, of sex. And there's an article that talks about a newly launched GPT store that's already flooded with artificial intelligent girlfriend bots raising questions about the enforcement policies and the societal implications of so many men turning to AI bots for companionship. In this report, just two days after the launch of OpenAI's GPT store, a trend emerged that is causing concerns, the influx of AI girlfriend bots. This new development in the store, which offers customized versions of the popular chat GPT chatbot, doesn't appear to be what OpenAI initially planned when developing the bot marketplace. A search for a girlfriend in the store quickly brings up at least eight AI chatbots with romantic themes, including names like Korean Girlfriend, Virtual Sweetheart, Your AI Girlfriend, Sue. These chatbots promote users with questions such as, what does your dream girl look like? And share with me your darkest secret, pushing the boundaries of AI interaction into a more personal and intimate realms. But that sounds like Genesis 6, the cause of the flood. Genesis 6.4 says there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were men of old, men of renown. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man and it was great in the earth that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that was what brought a judgment to the earth in the flood. And then the scripture in Jude I was talking about, it says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness for judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner as these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. They're set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So it sounds like this AI bot transhumanism thing sounds like another condition where we can look at in the past and there was this crossing of lines of the angelic realm and the human realm they came together and it was so despicable and detestable to God that he had to flood the whole earth and now we see that same thing sort of being promoted and so I'll just finish with this one last 
thing this morning. Chat GPT was actually asked by a Christian researcher to write an article on how AI, like chat GPT, a form of AI, could potentially fulfill the image of the beast prophecy. So, chat GPT itself had an answer to that, and here's the answer. So here, here's the AI bot being asked, can this be used as technology for the Revelation 13 prophecy? And here's the answer. The image of the beast as described in the book of Revelation is a symbol of the end times representing a powerful and manipulative force that deceives and controls people. One way in which chatbots could potentially fulfill this prophecy is through their ability to manipulate and deceive people. Chatbots are designed to mimic human conversations and can be programmed to present themselves as real people, leading some, some people to form emotional connections with them. Another way in which chatbots could fulfill the prophecy of the image of the beast is through their potential to control people's actions. Chatbots can be programmed to persuade and influence people's decisions, and as they become more advanced, they may be able to anticipate and manipulate people's thoughts and behaviors in increasingly sophisticated ways. And so this is where everything is going. And it may be helpful to you to understand that there will be a one world government ruled by the Antichrist in the tribulation. The events that we see now are in preparation for that. The more we see those things, the more we start to realize that we need to look up for our redemption draws near. When we see these things, we should be looking for the blessed hope. The things that we see happening in the world are only meant for us as believers to remember this isn't our home, and it never will. It's to remember that our hope is in Jesus and not in this world. Therefore, we should be those who live for God in this world. And if a person is not a Christian, and these events that are happening are not shaking them up, sobering them up, cold plunging them up. That's my new, I like to say that now. <laughs> if it's not shocking them into reality, it's, there's a possibility that you're deceived already. Because the things that are happening in this world, those are not normal things. We should be shocked. Not us, but those who don't know Jesus. Because if you're a Christian, you know what's happening. And because you know what's happening, like Luke 21, 28 says, when you see these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So we look for a future and a hope with Jesus, knowing that it's not in this world. And I'll finish with Matthew 24 at the end of that chapter about the signs, Jesus again answering the question the disciples asked was, when is this all going to happen? He wanted them to focus on serving him now and not obsess with not doing anything and just waiting for him to come. He said, blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. That's what we need to be. Be occupied, energetically serving the Lord passionately 
And as we see these things come to pass, our vigor for the things of God should continue to increase. And that's what looking for the blessed hope is. Come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for this time, and I thank you that we are able to cover this in this time. And we all know that there's much more. There's much more. But suffice it to say, Lord, the main thing is that we're living for you fully and completely. And Lord, we see many idols in our culture. And uh, one thing that we know is that our country is, is not involved and seen in the Bible and in times events. And with that, Lord, I do pray for our country that it would turn to you. I pray, Lord, that our hope would be in you. I pray for a revival. I pray for our friends and loved ones who don't know you, Lord. Right this second, Lord, we pray their eyes would be open. Right this second, Lord. Those who have hard hearts, those who just see everything as normal, those who are not shocked anymore, I pray for them, Lord, that they would know what's happening, that there would be something in them that would realize, hey, this is weird and not normal. What is going on? And they'd cry out to you, Lord. I pray for anybody here or listening who if, if you were to die today, you would not be sure where you're going to end up. And I want to pray that you would deal with that right now. Cry out to God. Understand you're a sinner that needs the washing and cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. Your works won't save you. Your religion won't save you. Only the blood of Jesus. I pray that you would repent and cry out to Jesus now. And say, Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Don't be caught in the tribulation. Don't be caught without God when you die. Receive him now as your Lord and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to worship the Lord before we head out. Our prayer teams will be up front. If anybody would like prayer this morning, feel free as we sing this last song just to come up and receive prayer. And uh, who knows, guys, this might be the year. This might be the year. Don't be caught without Jesus. Let's worship the Lord.